Okay, today we are going to be talking about how I hate having to do this again. We always seem to have to deal with her, Beth Moore. Oh no, not again. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity in the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All right. Well, welcome to the Rap Report. I am your host, Andrew Rappaport. Glad to have you with us. And I am joined by two brothers, Jim Osmond and Justin Peters. Um, because whenever talking about Beth Moore, well, it's good to bring in the big guns because, you know, they know a whole lot more than me. <laughs> but I sent this, I sent this clip to you guys uh, last night, I guess, just to ruin your night. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and said, okay, let's, let's record on this. By the time this airs, um, Justin, you and I will be still, I believe in California, just wrapping up. Well, you'll be just wrapping up truth matters. I'll be up in uh, Northern California cause I leave to head up to Redwood city. But by the time this drops, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion that we will, that people will be discussing this video clip we're going to play in a bit by then. And so a lot of what people may hear by that point, we, it's a, you know, what we cover may already have been covered or things like that. But let it, let's start. I want to play this clip because it's really, uh, this is where we're going to end up talking about. Um, and so there is a clip of Beth Moore. This is her speaking at the Caring Well Conference. Um, And Flying Free put it as, excellent clip on the question, does complementarian cause abuse? And that is the topic she's looking to raise. So let's listen to her. It may be a little bit light uh, or or soft. I'm going to try to boost the volume as best I can. So uh, you may need to just be aware that it, it's going to be a little hard to hear. This is from someone's phone at the conference way back. And so let's give a listen to this. Anybody else but me? Does complementarian theology cause abuse? The answer is no. Sin and gross selfishness in the human heart cause abuse. Demonic influences cause abuse. However, has a culture prevalent in various circles of the SEC formed and burgeoned out of it, contributed to it? Absolutely and heavily. Even if you could not disagree more, even if I thought you were sitting over coffee late tonight talking about how you didn't like it, I would know you were talking about Because, see, the world is watching to see if we will bring up what they believe is the biggest elephant in the room. Yes. Complementarian theology became such a high core value that it inadvertently, by proof of what we have seen, look at the fruit of what happened became elevated above the safety and well-being of many women. So high the core value has become that in much of our world, complementary theology is now conflated with inerrancy. Case in point, notice how often our world charges or dismisses egalitarians by saying they have a low view of scripture. Because unless they think like us about complementarian theology, they do not honor 
the word of God. Watch for me. Test it and see if it is so. Far too many SBC congregations and SBC seminaries. So few women are in a visible area of leadership. That women who are being abused by the system itself or within it by people that are in places of power don't even have a female to turn to. That's right. They don't even know where to go. Yeah. Here's the best way I know to put it. In complementarianism or a woman, I tell you that woman is being abused and somebody needs to call the police and start an investigation. Come on. And God help us if the police are in on it. And I guess now I will enter the witness protection program. <laughs> Uh, what is that noise? I'm certainly not suggesting you throw out the woman. Interesting. Sorry about that. It seems that I have to keep it in this mode. I'm saying it is imperative if the SBC is to become a healthier church culture that she be protected from abuse and from exploitation for the sake of owning all the power. We must be willing to courageously face all that makes us vulnerable. Misogyny has no place in those who are being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a secondary kind of grooming, very prevalent in many of our environments, and it is this. Not to question those in high position. That must become a thing of the past. Those who cannot be questioned cannot be trusted. Take courage, shepherds, and guard the sheep. We are in a culture where we have watched shepherds protecting shepherds instead of protecting the sheep. Oh, learn how to smell a wolf. Take courage, present generations, for this moment has been divinely entrusted to us. If we are cowards, the generation coming up behind us will either despise us or be like us. We have the courage to love the church because we love the church. We can brace ourselves for the accusation that indeed we do not. But in this, we can fellowship with the saints before us. It was the Apostle Paul himself who said in the Galatians in 4.16, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? We take courage today, church. Because some sweet tomorrow we shall see the face of Jesus, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Redeemer, our strong tower, and our healer. And we shall see the one who outshines the sun, and we shall know as we have been known, and we will be shown what we have longed to see, and all our brokenness will be and he shall make us hope.
Okay, so we'll stop that there. She walks off stage. Uh, there's a whole lot there. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Someone was kind enough to transcribe that. I sent that to you guys, or at least transcribe some of that. And uh, I'll have that in the show notes along with the Facebook link. Unfortunately, this was Facebook. I couldn't download it. Therefore, we had some technical issues. Sorry about that. So, guys, let's talk through this. Uh, there is a lot here that she said that I think uh, really needs to be exposed. Um, first off, what, what's your overall thoughts of why she did this, what her, her message was at this conference, where, by the way, if you didn't notice, there were men in the audience. Um, why do you think she's becoming this voice for abuse in the SBC? Uh, Jim, you want to go or? Go ahead. Well, I, I think a number of reasons. I, for one thing, Beth Moore is heavily, heavily invested in the social justice movement. And this is one of the cars that follows that social justice engine. There's a lot of different cars following that engine. And uh, egalitarianism is one of those, one of those cars. And um, uh so, yeah, Beth Moore claims to have a high view of Scripture. I mean, she just quoted there the Apostle Paul, and yet uh, in a recent tweet, she actually seems to – here, I'll just read it to you and we can talk about it. She says, no, I was not subtweeting the Apostle, but I would like to say something here. I believe wholeheartedly that all Scripture is inspired by God, authoritative truth, but – the persons themselves, Paul and Jesus, are not equals. I know this is hard for some to swallow, but Paul is not our Savior. Paul would be horrified, I believe, by the way he has been deified. So Beth Moore seems to take this kind of tack as along the lines of what's called the red-letter Christians uh, that uh, Tony Campolo was well known for beginning that uh, somehow the the red letters, the red words are more inspired and authoritative than the Apostle Paul's words. Beth Moore, as is common for her, she tries to have her cake and eat it too. She says, yes, I believe that all scripture is inspired, but Paul is not our savior. Well, nobody ever said Paul is our savior, but she's, she's throwing shade on the Apostle Paul and what he says about the roles of men and women. Uh, I, I, Beth Moore claims that she's complementarian. I don't believe it. I believe in her heart of hearts. She is egalitarian. She openly preaches on Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning corporate worship uh, in, in clear violation of 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. So it, it's, she's trying to have her cake and eat it too. She's trying to keep one foot in the conservative wing, but really I believe in her heart of hearts, she's, she is egalitarian and, um, and uh, she is um, part of this social justice train this worldly philosophy that has invaded the SBC and other denominations. Jim, what do you think? She obviously gets a lot of positive feedback and affirmation and support from people who want her to go this direction. You could hear the people applauding in the audience when she said things like that. She is the champion for um, this voice, not only within the SBC, but also among people not in the SBC who follow her teachings. She's the champion of that voice of a plain outspoken egalitarianism. And um, Justin would know better than I do if she claims to be a complementarian, but if she does, she's, she's equivocating on the, the meaning of the word complementarian because she right. wants to affirm that she's a complementarian. And then she wants to come out and uh, smash complementarianism and, and equate it with misogyny and abuse and uh, all of these high crimes against uh, women throughout all the history and, and she conflates it with um, inspiration and orthodoxy. And uh, so she wants to, like Justin says, have her cake and eat it too. She's, she's attacking complementarians while claiming to not attack complementarians. That's and right. Complementarianism. And so she's speaking out of both sides of her mouth. And either she's not defining it properly or nobody has told her what it actually means. Um, but uh, she's, she's, uh, she's flip-flopping on both sides of that, of that issue. Uh, she is clearly attacking an orthodox position with her with her and and so therefore we we should really start with some definitions because we're speaking of terms that may be new to some people complementarianism 
egalitarianism. The idea that we see in these is the fact, and some people have broader definitions for it, but the, the issue is really dealing with the women's role in the church. Can a woman be a pastor? Can she preach a Sunday morning sermon? Can she have authority over, over men? This is the issue. Now, the egalitarians would say, no, a woman can do anything a man can do. Women can be pastors. Women can do as she's doing, preaching on, at pulpits. And there's different levels some people have. Some people will say they're complementarian, and they're going to say, well, a woman can preach at a conference as she was doing there, but not on a Sunday morning service, which she does do anyway. So either way, she's fitting in the definition of egalitarian. There's some people that have a abusive definition of, of complementarian, where they're going to say that a woman is to submit to every man. So your wives are supposed to submit to every other man in the church. That would be an abusive definition uh, and not found anywhere in scripture. Uh, the issue really comes down to what role a woman can have in church. And so we first have to start there because I think you're right. She equivocates on this. I think in what you, we just heard in this clip, she clearly is defending egalitarianism. But I think what you said, Justin, is really interesting in this, in this tweet between Paul versus Jesus that she tries to pit because this exposes a real problem that she has and is she has very bad thinking. Yeah. It's she, the question is not Paul versus Jesus. No one is deifying Paul. Right. The question is who wrote the scriptures that especially those verses she doesn't like reason she's pitting Jesus versus Paul with this red letter view is the fact that Paul wrote things in 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 14 that she doesn't like because that limits her to not have authority over men, to not be preaching and teaching men. She doesn't like that. That's where this is coming from. So the question really isn't are people deifying Paul? The question is, and this isn't an inerrancy question. Does she actually believe that what Paul wrote is from Christ? Not did he actually speak it, but did he, God, actually write it? That's the issue. Because yeah. Jesus didn't write a single verse in Scripture. He said things that are quotes, but he didn't write a single one the way she's trying to say Paul did. But it's all written by him. Yeah, and she's, she's making a false dichotomy. Uh, she says that uh, Paul would be horrified, I believe, by the way he has been deified. As you said, you know, we're, nobody is deifying Paul, but what we know of Paul is recorded in the New Testament, and Paul's words are just as Theonoustos, God-breathed, as Jesus' words. Paul himself was not deific, but his writings were just as inspired uh, as everything that Jesus said. There, there is no difference between uh, the, the word, the authoritative level of the words of Christ and the words of the Apostle Paul, because as Paul wrote Scripture, they were theognustos. They were, they were God-breathed. And so she's creating this false dichotomy. She's trying to, to create a crack between uh, the red letters, if you will, and, and Paul's words, because Paul said some things that she just does not like. And and earlier in the clip, she says that we have conflated complementarianism with inerrancy. And, and if we look at uh, people who are egalitarian, we claim that they don't uh, believe in inerrancy. Well, show me an egalitarian. Show me a denomination that has gone egalitarian that still holds to inerrancy. It doesn't exist. It's like Bigfoot. You know, there's <laughs> rumors and grainy photos, but it doesn't really exist. Every denomination that has gone egalitarian has gone liberal, every single one of them. Well, the, the issue, I think here, again, it's it's conflating because um, looking at what the, the transcript of what she says, right? Complementarian theology has become such a high core value that it inadvertently, by proof of what we've seen, look at the fruit of what happened, became elevated above safety and well-being of women. So high core has it become that in much of the world of complementarian theology is now conflated with inerrancy. Case in point, notice how often our world changes or dismisses egalitarians by saying they have a low view of scripture. Well, you know why we say they have a low view of scripture? Because they do. 
(laughs) True. (laughs) Because when faced with the scripture they don't like, like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 14, what do they do? They reject it. They reject what it actually says. They either try to come up with some other meaning for what it says, or they say that's just Paul. That's not Jesus saying this. Well, what have they done? They've had a low view of scripture because they're putting Jesus versus Paul. Yeah. It's all scripture. It's all scripture. This is why we would say they have a low view of scripture because they do. That's right. It's not that we're saying you have to be complementarian to have a high view of scripture or be complementarian is equal to inerrancy. We're saying that if you're going to believe in inerrancy, if you're going to believe God wrote this, then you believe God wrote all of this, even the parts you don't like. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, I, I was just going to say it's it's interesting how she she very subtly shifts the focus of the debate um, because she she smuggles something into the discussion here and it, and it's worth noting she says um, you, we have deified Paul and and what she's doing there is she's saying if if you take Paul seriously and believe in complementarianism that's deifying Paul as in worshiping Paul instead of Jesus well no we're taking what Paul says as inspired scripture and taking it seriously that a woman should not exercise authority over a man, that a woman, that the, the office of preaching and teaching scripture in the public worship assembly should be reserved for men and not women. And so she, she subtly, she subtly says that if you are a complementarianism, you've deified Paul. And so then, and this is what liberals do constantly. They, they shift the terms of the discussion. So as that it, to redefine a word so that if you affirm this thing, well, then you're affirming X, Y, and Z as well. If you affirm A, B, and C, you have to affirm X, Y, and Z. So she'll say things like uh, complementarianism has led to abuse. Therefore, complementarian theology is abusive theology, and we're against abusing women. So she begins with that. We're against abusing women. And all of us complementarians say, absolutely, we're against abusing women. That's horrible. And we should treat women as spiritual equals in the church. That's right. We would affirm that. We should treat them as spiritual equals in the church. Yes, we're on board with that. Well, complementarianism doesn't treat women as spiritual equals in the church. Complementarianism leads to abusing women, which you say you're against. And that's when we stop and we say, hold on. I didn't say I was for abusing women. I am a complementarian. And therefore you you're in favor of abusing women. You see how she smuggles in the definition, a definition of complementarianism in the discussion. When, when she says uh, we're against abusing women, we agree complementarianism abuses women. Well, that's something that you, you can't prove, you can't point to. I don't know of any complementarian that would embrace abusing women. I know people who take complementarian theology and uh, abuse that theology, which leads to horrible consequences. But you could do the same thing with egalitarians, too. I know of egalitarians who, who would lead to horrible consequences and horrible um, actions from that theology as well. So She's, she doesn't want to have a discussion on the relevancy of the text. Instead, she wants to smuggle in this concept of abuse. Well, if you take Paul seriously there, that women shouldn't teach or exercise authority over men, then you must be a complementarian. And all of us know complementarianism is misogynistic and is abusive to women. Um, and that's just something that we have to, you know, that's a form of begging the question. She's smuggling that conclusion into the premise of the argument and then arguing from there. Well, I mean, this is filled with logical fallacies, right? The, 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 her topic for this conference is, does complementarian, complementarianism cause abuse? We heard in the very beginning of the clip, she says, does complementarian theology cause abuse? The answer is no. no. She should have got off stage then. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the answer. But then she wants to, like you're saying, smuggle this in because what she does, the rest of what she says is to basically say, yes, it does. And, and people that aren't trained in, in logic or debate, they don't even pick this up. because. And you obviously did pick it up, Jim, right? Because everything she then goes on, the, the rest of that clip, what she goes on to do is to answer that, yes, I, I said the answer is no, but the real answer is yes. Yeah, she, yeah, she says that at the beginning. She says, uh, uh, no, it doesn't. Abuse is caused by satanic influences and the wickedness of the human heart. But 
you know, and she emphasizes that, but, and then she switches gears. But yes, complementarianism does cause abuse. Imagine if we were to set the terms of the discussion the opposite direction and use the same, the same way of arguing that she does. We'd say, does egalitarianism lead to an all-out apostasy with women in leadership abusing and oppressing men? Well, no, of course it doesn't. But we all know that egalitarians who put women in leadership have led to the abuse of men. And here are all the ways that men are abused by egalitarians. And so we've done the exact same thing that she has done, but just on the other side of the coin. Of the coin. Does egalitarianism itself lead to the abuse of men? No, technically it doesn't. Does complementarianism itself lead to the abuse of women? No, it doesn't. But she views abuse as, I'm not allowed to preach in a Southern Baptist church, therefore I'm being abused. And that's a misogynistic position. Well, well that's a complementarian position. Okay, this is one of the other things I saw that she slipped in right from the beginning, right? Because she says, she says it's, it's not the theology it's demonic or it's sin and gross selfishness and the human heart cause abuse, demonic influences. However, has the culture prevalent in circles of the SBC formed? So she's given us the context. Okay. She's answered the question. It's not complementarianism that does this. So when she goes to address everything else in complementarianism, it's, it is a false argument because she's already answered that question. But what does she do? She's telling us this is, this is the, the view of the SBC. So right there, what she's done is another fallacy by equivocating because she's using complementarianism. Now, if she is attacking the complementarianism that says that all women are submissive to, have to be submissive to all men, well, that's not the SBC's view. Nor is it a complementarian view. Correct. Right. But we'll see some complementarians might say that's their view, but she's given us the context. She's talking within the SBC. But if that's not the view of the SBC, therefore she can't be taking that extreme definition to be saying that's what causes the abuse. She has to stick within the definition for the SBC. Therefore, it, the, what she hasn't proven and she'll never prove, is that preventing a woman to speak at a pulpit or pastor a church causes them to be abused sexually, which is the issue that the, the SBC was addressing. The reality is you can't prove that. It's, it's not going to be there. She does this over and over again where she's going to try to say, well, this is what the SBC has to let women preach. Is that, that's where she's going to end up going with this. She's, she's finally coming out of the closet with, with her egalitarianism that we've all known <laughs> she holds to by yeah. practice. And what I think you end up seeing here is she's, she's going to equivocate on all this stuff to use things that she has. She's already said the theology isn't the cause. She's already defined it as the SBC. Well, show us where in the SBC they've done this because you know what? There's plenty of men, Jim, I know in your church, you got a lot of godly men, but they're not all preaching. Uh, they're not all pastoring. In fact, I know you, you're pretty protective of your pulpit. You don't let just anybody preach at your pulpit. Are, is that abusing all those men? Uh, no, I don't think so. We, we guard the pulpit. I mean, we did let you in there a couple of times, <laughs> we, we, we their defense, but we, we, uh, we, Hey, a broken you know, clock is right twice a day. So, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, no, we don't let every man here preach. And, uh, um, we do have, we do have standards that we keep and we guard the pulpit. Um, in fact, we just, just recently, we addressed this very issue with having a local Gideon's presentation where we've decided now that we're not going to have uh, Gideon's come and present from the pulpit unless they're mem- unless the Gideon is a member of our church. And the reason being is because a lot of Gideon's representatives come from churches that don't hold to some of our theology. Some of them don't hold complementarian theology or cessationist theology. Some of them come from charismatic churches that are uh, have horrible doctrine. And and in years past, we have allowed them to come and present the Gideon uh, ministry and to talk to people about what the Gideons are doing. And we just said, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Under no other circumstance would we allow one of those guys to take our pulpit and address our people. So why should them being a Gideon all of a sudden give them a pass for that? So... Uh, but that's not that's not because we don't like those people or we hate those people or anything like that. It's not being abusive. Justin, I want to ask you this question because there's something she said toward the end that just totally shocked me that she would have the audacity to say this. 
So I, I, I wrote it down to, because this wasn't in the, the transcript that I found online of it, but she said, those who cannot be questioned cannot be trusted. I was blown away because, you know, on this podcast, we had uh, Michelle Leslie come on with an open letter that, was, that several women had signed asking her, questioning her about her position on homosexuality. And she basically slammed those women as saying, well, they don't, they, they didn't come through the proper channels. They didn't do it the right way. They don't have, they shouldn't be doing this and going after the, and attacking the women who had the nerve to question her. So yeah. Justin, by her own word, does this mean that we can officially say Beth Moore cannot be trusted because she cannot be questioned? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, the open letter was very clear. It was very succinct. Uh, softball questions. I mean, the ball was sitting on the tee begging to be knocked out of the park. And Beth Moore dodged. And she did, she did just exactly what she did in this video. She says, oh, I affirm all scripture. I believe that uh, all of scripture is authoritative. But she did not answer the simple, direct questions. Uh, so, yeah, she cannot be questioned. She is, she is that uh, she is that of whom cannot be touched. She is, it, I tell people if, if Southern Baptist had a female Pope, it would be Beth Moore. Uh, you cannot question her. Uh, she is, uh, I, I'm sometimes I'm just gobsmacked at her, at her lack of self-awareness. The things that comes out of her mouth is just utter hypocrisy. Uh, and, and that's a great example of what you just cited. Um, yeah, she's she's above that. She's above us little peons uh, asking questions. She's above these ladies submitting the the uh, open letter. She just won't uh, lower herself to that standard and and um, ask questions that should be very easy to answer. And and this is why I say, I mean, this is hypocritical to to for her. She's playing the victim in this, being like, oh look, oh, she, you can't you can't you can't question these leaders about this stuff. But no one can question her either. So that's part of the social justice uh, mode of operation. That's that's how they operate. Is you're always the victim. This perpetual victimhood status. I'm the victim. I've been oppressed, and that's exactly what Beth Moore is doing. She is playing the social justice victimhood card. You know, poor Beth Moore. All these people picking on her. Um, yeah, I, I'm convinced that Beth Moore is. I mean. And here's another thing that the social justice uh, tactics, part of the social justice tactics is that they use conservative lingo, but they redefine those terms. They, they will use the terms that with which we would identify, but they ascribe to those terms, different meetings. For example, in this, in the topic of our conversation here, yes, I'm complementarian. I just believe that a woman can preach uh, to the gathered body on Sunday morning. Well, if you believe that, then you're not complementarian. Um, yes, I believe that all scripture is inspired. I just don't think uh, Paul's words are ins inspired as, as Jesus. Well, then you don't believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. I believe God speaks to me today, but uh, what he says to me is not as inspired as scripture is. You see, they, you know, they, they make these false dichotomies and they try to uh, wrap themselves in a conservative mantle, but they completely redefine the terms. It's like what the Roman Catholic Church does with grace. Oh, yes, we believe in grace. We just believe you have to merit it. Well, then it's no longer grace. You see what I'm saying? So they use the they use the same terms, but they ascribe different meanings to these terms. But see, in our culture that we're in today, it has been so confused that in her mind, this now makes sense. I mean, you have people that are when you look at this whole thing with gender and, and just the nonsense that goes on where people are, my wife and I were just talking about this earlier today. Like we're waiting, the, the, the health industry is, you know, they're companies that provide uh, health care for women to get pregnant. Women, you know, I'm waiting for our culture to be like, well, that's not fair. I, as a man want to get pregnant. I think you need to pay <laughs> for medical so that I can be pregnant. Well, it goes against the very definition, right? Um, I, I think this was an interesting quote she had. Um, and I thought that this shows how she gets spun up in her, her rhetoric and doesn't even think about what she's saying. She said, far too many SBC congregations and 
SBC seminaries, so few women are in any visible area of leadership that women who are being abused by the system itself or within, uh, within it by people that are in a place of power don't have any female to turn to. They don't even know where to go. Um, y- you know where I would go if I wanted a female opinion? My bride. Same here. Yep. <laughs> they can't find a woman. They don't know where they are. Um, in my house. That's, that's where they are, you know, and, and where do the, uh, you know, if, if you're going to, if, if you're trying to say that she's saying this, that the, the women being abused have nowhere to turn to because it's all the men in leadership, um, not that, that assumes that every man in leadership is an abuser. And every woman in the church is complicit with it. If you have nowhere to go. Yeah. You're telling me that there's not an equal number of women in the average Southern Baptist church than there are men. I would bet that in most Southern Baptist churches, there are more women than there are men. But she's going to argue that the women aren't in leadership. Because think about what, so you have a couple different ways to to parse this. And with her, you you end up having to parse it different ways because she is never clear in her words. If you're going to parse it that the men in leadership don't have a woman to turn to because there's not a woman in leadership, well, they don't need a woman in leadership to turn to a woman. If it's that the women are being abused because there's no women in leadership that can put a stop to this, well, okay, first off, you put a woman in leadership. If her, th- if her thinking is correct and every man is an abuser and every woman the victim, putting a woman in leadership doesn't change it because the man's still going to abuse the woman that's in leadership, right? But when she argues that she's not an egalitarian, there's no way you could take this quote and say she's complementarian. There's no way, because what is she arguing for? Women in leadership. The very definition issue that we're bringing up. So I, I think the one thing that really is clear is she has finally come out and made it very clear she's not a complementarian. She's very much against it. Yeah, and, and she, she does uh, another sort of sleight of hand here is that she begins to speak about, um, she begins to speak in all these generalities, again, that we would agree with, that abuse is wrong, et cetera. And, but then she describes these situations where women are in these churches, they have nowhere to go to, and they're being abused, and the men who are abusing them are just protecting the shepherds. It's shepherds guarding shepherds and not shepherds guarding sheep. She mentions that at one time. And my yeah. challenge to her would be, where is this church? What, which church is it? Give me the name and the city that it's in, the name of this church, and who are the leaders? Can you point me specifically to anything that fits this description? And chances are good you would not be able to point us to any Southern Baptist church that fits this description. Oh. And, and, and so she speaks in these generalities, and, and, but without naming any specifics, as if, as if what she is describing is so widespread that it deserves the entire revamping of the entire SBC to, to remedy the situation. You know, we have, we have one of the speakers at Striving Fraternity. He's a SBC pastor, Pastor Frank Mullis. He's involved right now with a pastor who the, the SBC group, the local group is preventing a guy. They basically, he was, he resigned from a church over claims of, of sexual abuse. Um, it, it was a strange thing and he stepped down and some other church brought him in and all the guys, the SBC pastors, local pastors said, no, that's not going to happen. And so there, so what do you have? You have men in leadership in SBC putting a stop to a man who wants to be a pastor again, who has, you know, been involved in, in some questionable practices as a leader. So right there, this isn't, as she puts it to every, like every SBC church and it's everywhere in the SBC. She does this strange analogy. I don't know if you guys really understood this. I mean, I think what she does is she gets like herself kind of like the, the African American pastors where they get into the cadence and everyone just gets into it and, and they don't think about what they're saying. I have a friend of mine that says, you know, black pastor can preach Little Miss Muffet and people will amen it. And I was like, it can't happen. We were in this missionary housing and he's like, he's doing it with the whole cadence. And this woman is walking past and go, amen, preach it. And he's preaching Little Miss Muffet. I think she gets into that. Because she's like, if complementarianism were a woman, 
I, I tell you that the woman is being abused by, and someone needs to call the police and start investigating. And God help us if the police are in on it. And now I will enter the witness protection program. A victim. What in the world was she saying? She playing the victim card. Again, so is it complementarianism that is being abused or is it complementarianism that is abusive? That's unclear. She, she, she's having that both ways. You know what, you know what, Andrew? There's an aspect of this that just makes me sick, and that is that Beth Moore has put me in a place where I have to defend SBC churches and pastors. And that's I was about to say, yes. <laughs> real uncomfortable here to SBC. Oh, my goodness. I've, I've, it's a new low in American evangelicalism when Justin and I have to come to the defense of the SBC. Well, see, I've never been part of a denominational church. <laughs> I've always been independent Baptist. I've never supported denominations anyway. But, you know, it was interesting at the end of this, because um, you said she plays the victim card. She quotes a passage from Ephesians, and she does it so she could play the victim card. In, and she quotes it where she's saying, you know, well, we're, we're being attacked because we're speaking the truth. What truth is she speaking? She... She said is the, the topic of her thing is complementarian, complementarian theology causing the abuse. The answer is no. So she's not speaking the truth on complementarian theology. She says in, in the thing that we, you, we just read, right, that she's talking about complementarianism causing the abuse. But yet it's not. She's also saying in this quote that complementarianism itself is being abused. So. You know, you're like, what truth is she actually saying? The, the, when you read through this whole thing, the, the truth she's claiming is egalitarianism. That's what she's defending. Yeah. yeah, she's, as I said a minute ago, she is using the same lingo, but she is ascribing new definitions to that lingo. This, this is part of what the social justice movement does. They take your language and they redefine it. And, and this is how she gets away with it, though, is because of the fact that she does this. It's a smokescreen. People don't see it because they hear what she's saying. They hear the emotion she has in it. And they, they feel she's right. But when you parse what she actually says, she says she's complementarianism while defending egalitarianism. She says that complementarian theology doesn't cause abuse while she defends that it does cause abuse. It, you... you you know, there is that thing where people ha say one thing, but their actions speak louder than their words. Well, what she's defending speaks louder than what she's claiming. She might have a solid statement of faith, but her actions and what she defends deny it. it it's much in the same vein as uh, you hear Democrats on the political level. We're, we're patriotic. We love the United States. We're patriotic. We just believe the United States of America is the single largest cause of evil in the world. You know, we're, we're patriotic. We love the United States. We just believe it's the most unfair country and it oppresses the poor. That, it's that kind of thing. They, they, they claim the patriotic label and then they go to trash the country. Um, social justicians claim evangelical lingo, claim conservative lingo, and, but they redefine those terms and, and make them mean something that they never meant. You just triggered Jim there. <laughs> <That's bad. laughs> you that word. Fundamentally transformed the United States of America, right? Well, yeah. Well, he did just in a bad way. Um, yeah. But no, you, I, I, I was actually thinking of a different politician when, when you started talking about that, because I was thinking Hitler, everyone likes to say Hitler was a Christian. And you, know, what did he do with Bible believing Christians? He killed them. He put him in prison. He, he used Christianity and said, I'm a Christian. Look, I'll, I'll put it on my, my logo. But he didn't believe it. By his practice, by what he wrote, if you actually read what he wrote, you realize he wasn't a Christian. Yeah. He, he, he was a human secularist. Yeah. You know? He, he you guys get the feeling, do you guys get the feeling with uh, Beth Moore that – Part of this coming out against complementarianism is is a is a run or an an assertion of her own her own uh, qualifications to take over as the president of the SBC. You think that that is an end game play that she might be making with this? I I don't, Jim. I, I don't, and he, and here's why I don't. A couple things. I believe that even if 
the president of the SBC, that position, if it was handed to her on a silver platter by fiat saying, Beth Moore, um, next year, we are going to install you as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. She would turn it down. I, I fully believe she would turn it down because she doesn't want it. She doesn't want it. Even if it was given to her, she doesn't want that position because uh, her current gig is too good. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she wouldn't, she wouldn't take it even if it was offered to her on a silver, on a silver platter. But that having been said, the fact that these conversations are even taking place in the SBC that there's the fact that there's even serious discussion about her possibly being the president of the Southern Baptist convention tells you that the SBC has lost. The the battle has been lost. The war has been lost. Mm -hmm. If, if the SBC was as conservative and was as faithful to scripture as it claims to be, we wouldn't be having these conversations. I say we, I'm not in the SBC anymore, uh, but they wouldn't be having these conversations. Those conversations wouldn't be taking place. It's just like in the United States of America, what, according to Gallup, roughly 70% of the people in the United States of America claim to be Christians. Well, if that number were even remotely close to be true, we wouldn't be debating abortion. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have enshrined homosexual marriage uh, by the Supreme Court of the United States, we, we wouldn't even be having those discussions. So um, the very fact that those conversations and discussions are even taking place shows you that you've, that you've lost. I what if think- the Southern Baptist denomination ends up uh, enhancing the gig that she currently has? Well, that, that's what I think she's doing this for. I was going to say, I, I kind of agree with, with Justin, but for a different reason. I think she would reject it because she will gain more power in the SBC attacking the abuse and being the spokesman for all SBC women. She will gain more power than being president, I believe, because the president won't be able to do anything without first checking with her. That's where I think it's going to end up being. And and then she gets a much bigger platform without having to deal with any of the issues of being president. Which is basically the way it is now. I mean, yeah, J.D. Greer and Beth Moore joined at the hip. Um, yeah, and and she by the by being the president, if she was president, what would end up happening would be she would have to deal with a whole lot of other issues than just going out to conferences and speaking and doing what she does. She'd have to deal with a whole bunch of things she doesn't like doing. Probably, I mean, yeah. there's you know, be, being the president of SBC is dealing with a lot of issues and she doesn't deal with issues. She avoids them. So it's a role that she wouldn't be able to really do that in. So being in a role that I think she's set up for is where the SBC can't do anything without first checking with Beth Moore. Name me one prominent SBC leader who is actually in a position of leadership within the convention. Name me one single man who has the, has the, the, the courage to speak out against Beth Moore. There are none, none, none in positions of leadership, none, none, no seminary president will do it. The president of the convention will not do it. The president of NAM will not do it. The IMB will not do it. Um, nobody on the executive committee will do it. Nobody will. Now you have a few guys like Tom Buck and Tom Askell, um, but they're, they're not in any official position of leadership. No one in the, in the hierarchical, hierarchical structure of uh, the SBC has the courage or the um, theological wherewithal to, to go against Beth Moore. Okay, so here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. We have, we have a seminary president who is, does a daily podcast Al Moore, the briefing, what's the purpose of it? Deals with social issues, deals with how things that are going to affect Christianity. Will he address this clip? Will, will he addresses all these other issues? Will he address what Beth Moore's defense of egalitarianism in this clip? The, the way that this, the, the way that Beth Moore has cast this conversation is going to make it even more difficult because, again, how she smuggled into the discussion some of the assumptions and the presuppositions. 
Um, if Al Mohler does come out and address this, of course, it's going to be seen as an attack because that's how she has framed the discussion. If you come out against my position on egalitarianism and complementarianism, well, that's just you as a male in leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist Churches and Seminary. That's just you, again, putting women down, oppressing women, trying to put us in our place. So that, again, is just evidence then. If he does speak out, it's evidence of what she has said because of how she's framed the debate. So you can't even have a conversation now about complementarianism versus egalitarianism or whether complementarianism equals misogyny, which is basically her presupposition. You can't even have a conversation about that now without coming out and looking like a misogynist and abusive a complementarianism. You're abusing complementarianism because she says, I'm a complementarian and complementarianism doesn't lead to abuse, but complementarianism leads to abuse. So now if you come out as a complementarianism, she can, a complementarianist, she can put you in either the abused category where she is at or the abuser category, whichever is most convenient for her. So yeah, I'd be great for Mark Dever, for Al Mohler, for any of those guys in the Southern Baptist denomination to come out and to address this and to throw their full weight behind um, pushing back against this abuse of scripture that Beth Moore is promoting. But to even open their mouth and to mention Beth Moore and call her wrong is going to put them in the misogynist, complementarian, abuser, oppressive of women category. Just the, just the very act of speaking out is going to put them in that camp. Yep. And all she has to do is sit back and play the victim again and put out on Twitter that all oh, people are abusing me and I need to take a break from Twitter for a week and kind of go to be alone with the Lord and just get off of this. She's got to just play the victim. And there's no way that Al Mohler, if he had the courage to speak out, he could ever walk away as anything other than a villain. Well, I, I'll frame it a little differently. I mean, cause she does say in this thing, uh, misogyny has no place in those who are being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, okay, we, we can agree, but I would also add to that, that it's not us attacking her. She's, you're right, she's framed it that way. It's, it's, it's yeah, us yeah. attacking her. I'm not attacking her. I'm attacking what she said. Why? Because what she said is an attack on the Bible, on God, on biblical Christianity, even against the SBC that is supporting her. she's attacking the very organization that props her up because she's saying they're all guilty of this. I'm attacking what she is believing because what she's believing is an attack on me, on biblical Christianity, on my Lord and savior. She's the one doing the attacking. Remember, she's the one trying to change the terminology. She has already stated that, the view of complementarianism does not cause this sexual abuse that's being addressed in the SBC. Therefore, now we're done with that. So everything else she's saying is not to answer the premise that she's there to answer. Yeah. Everything else is her support for something that is anti-biblical and not found in Scripture. It's actually very clear in Scripture. She just doesn't like it. So she wants to attack God's very order of things. Well, who else is it that we see who attacks the very order that God has set up? Satan. So as we close out, Jim, you have a couple of books that you have written that would be excellent resources for people who may be challenged by what we're saying about the way people think God speaks to them because Beth Moore has people, you know, God speaks to her about brushing people's hair. Uh, (laughs) You, you have some excellent books that might help with some of the nonsense that we see that she's actually starting to be pulled into. And we're, we're starting to see. And a, a reason I think Beth Moore is so dangerous is because she's still in the conservative circles while not only preaching the liberal theology, but word of faith theology. So why don't you give some folks uh, the books you've written so people can get some good resources to get a hold of? Yeah, one that's out right now that kind of deals a little bit with a lot of the stuff uh, that's connected with things that Beth Moore says uh, concerning demons and Satan, etc. is Truth of Territory, a Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare. Currently, I haven't written it, but I am writing it currently, is a book on whether God speaks to us through 
uh, visions and dreams and still small voices and nudgings and promptings and impressions and themes and all of the other nonsense, uh, extra biblical revelation. I'm currently in the process of writing a book on that and hoping that that will be out by year's end. But uh, see, this is October, probably doubted, probably early next year. Um, it's kind of my goal. I'm hoping to do it by this fall. But I am going to be dealing with that issue in one of the, in an upcoming book. You know, Justin, you have a book out that I think would be helpful because really what's is a big issue here is understanding God's word and what it means to be converted. Uh, and you have a book that may seem to some folks strange because your book is about child baptism baptizing children, and yet really the core part of it is, what is conversion? Why don't you talk about your book? Sure. Yeah, the title of the book is Do Not Hinder Them, A Biblical Examination of Childhood Conversion. And I I hate to say the title is misleading, but it is a little bit counterintuitive because um, Do Not Hinder Them actually deals with the precautions that we must take with children before we rush them off to the baptistry, just because they've made intellectual assent to some basic gospel facts does not mean that conversion has taken place. Um, Conversion should look the same in everyone, regardless of their age, whether you're talking about a a 15 year old kid or an 85 year old man or whatever, uh, there should be uh, a a godly sorrow over sin. There should be a a growth in sanctification, a decreasing pattern of sin in our lives, increasing pattern of holiness a love for the brethren, a love for God's word, a desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, a desire to be able to, an ability rather to be able to withstand persecution and temptation. And, um, and that's just not something you'll be able to ascertain in a, in a young child. They're just too young. Yeah. And I think that uh, folks, if you're listening, uh, this is, if you're watching it on YouTube, this is also a podcast you can listen to, subscribe to uh, my podcast, the rap report, rap with two P's, Andrew Rapport's rap report. The long one is where this one will air. If you're listening to it, I also have a daily Monday through Friday podcast. It's just two minutes long. Give you basically quick answers to some questions people get, some challenges people get. So we defend the faith in two minutes, give you quick answers, things that we put the transcript there so you can copy and paste it as well. So you can go to strivingforturning.org to get all of the different questions that we've answered on there. Uh, Justin has a podcast. Uh, We started dropping some of his older uh, episodes. It's called Didache. Uh, and you're going, well, I can't spell that. Okay, just search for Justin Peters <laughs> and look for Didache. Uh, you know, only Justin will come up with a Greek word for an English podcast, you know? Hey. <laughs> so uh, down, make sure you subscribe to his podcast. If you are ever in northern Idaho, uh, make sure you go to Kootenai Community Church, which is where Pastor Jim pastors. Uh, You want to check that out. Uh, I will state, Jim, uh, if people watch the video on the Striving Fraternity page, a YouTube channel, uh, earlier we got to see something when Justin was speaking. There was this little, I mean, really small ball of hair that kind of moved. I mean, I think Justin calls it a dog. Yeah, he would call it a dog. so small we couldn't really see it. (laughs) It, Look, any any man can have a, a big lab or a German shepherd. It takes a real man to be secure in his manhood to have a little 10-pound frou-frou dog like I've got. <laughs> hey, I'm, I don't need a German shepherd to, to make me secure in my manhood. <laughs> so there. Justin, Justin needs a dog that he could outrun. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I thank I thank both you guys for coming on. It's it's always a joy. By by the time uh, we did, this podcast airs, Justin, uh, you're 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 going to Truth Matters, right? I am. Yep, looking forward to it. <laughs> the joke there is Justin speaking at Truth Matters, and I actually asked him if he was going, and he's like, he's just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go. And then afterwards, I realized, wait, you're speaking. He's like, yeah, I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> They're like, of course, I'm going. I'm speaking. <laughs> So we'll, by the time this airs in podcast, we'll be at Truth Matters. If folks haven't listened to last week's episode of The Rap Report that I did with Jamal Bandy, uh, anyone who's followed this Amber Geyer, Geyer 
uh, case, this Dallas police officer that, that shot the uh, gentleman, Botham Jean. Uh, we covered that, but we covered it different than every other podcast or anything that we've heard. I've been listening to a bunch of people deal with that issue. Nobody had the perspective that I had. Uh, I even spoke to the guys at Just Thinking and, and Virgil was like, yeah, I never even thought of that. There's another angle of this that has to be considered, isn't being considered. So go check out that episode of The Rap Report uh, on her and dealing with the whole issue of, is this a racism versus justice issue? I do not know what's going to be next week's podcast because I'll be down with Justin at the Truth Matters conference. I may grab some interviews from there. I'll have my equipment, so we may play some interviews. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll do that or something, uh, but check it out. Either way, make sure you subscribe. And I want to thank you guys again. I really appreciate the ministry that God has in your lives. It is a blessing to me and so many others. So thank you for coming on and helping with this. Thanks, brother. Thank yeah. you. Our pleasure. And, and then folks, we want to remind you to remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.